Hello and welcome to lucky number 13, our episode of wow. Insanely Criminal. We've made it. We really have. <laughs> I'm Jem. I'm Ali. And today we are covering local crimes Woo! and unsolved mysteries. Not the TV show, just... Uh, just, just unsolved mysteries. Yeah, it's just an unsolved mystery in our area. Very exciting. Oh, is it only one? No, well, one is an un- is like a missing person. One is an unsolved mystery, and the other is a murder. Oh, not okay. with a hatchet. Oh, no hatchets need to this find week. More hatchet murders. Well, I don't think there's any hatchets in this. Oh, actually, I think there is. <gasps> I wrote this one weeks ago. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, we'll find out. I don't remember. You think uh, I should, considering I write these, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I've forgotten if there's hatchets or not. So should we get into it mm-hmm. about our spooky area? Ooh. Yeah. Okay, so first we're going to have a missing persons case, which is uh, very local to us. Uh, it's in the town where I work in, so very local. Yes, so, shall we get into it, Ali? Shall we go? Shall we go? Are you ready? Yes. Are you reading? Mm-hmm. Ready and reading? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, the missing person is a woman named Trevallian Evans. It's a very fancy name. <gasps> it's an excellent surname. <laughs> I'll talk more about the first name. Oh. Yeah, There's sure. actually a place called Trevallian just on the border between England and Wales where my dad was born. And in my dad's funeral, uh, it was mentioned because uh, he was always grateful that uh, his mum hung on in the Welsh border to have him and didn't go over the border. (laughs) So he wasn't the only English child in the family. (laughs) But okay, yeah. Trevallin Evans. She was 52 at the time of her disappearance in 1990. Trevallin lived in a town obviously 10 miles from where we live called Langothlin. If you're not Welsh, that probably just sounded like mm-hmm. a bunch of sounds. Just sound like... Yeah, that's how we sounded, speak. Yeah. <laughs> so Langothlin is a very busy tourist town when COVID is not happening. Mm-hmm. It's been unusually dead there the last few weeks. When I finish work, I don't see anybody. It was really busy for a while though. Oh, it's usually heaving. Mm-hmm. Like if you go, yeah, if you go there in the summer, it's like... Oh, it's terrible in the summer and around Christmas. Oh, yeah, don't bother. Oh, then again, we're going there on the Saturday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For some pizza. <laughs> so, let's get back to the missing person's cake. Cake? <laughs> I'm thinking of food. <laughs> <laughs> the missing person's cake. Oh, I'm thinking of my birthday. <laughs> So it would have been especially busy on the day Trevallin vanished, as it was the start of summer and a Saturday. So anyone listening, if you're not from the local area, um, the height of summer and a Saturday in Flangothlin, do not ever bother going there. um, Because A, there's nowhere to park your car, and B, there's nowhere to walk unless it's the Mm. middle of the road. Because it's just... It's too much. Trevallin had a shop called Attic Antiques, 
which was on Church Street. On Saturday 16th of June, she opened her shop at the normal time of 9.30am. She had parked her car approximately 200 yards away. She had had a busy morning in the shop with around 25 customers and friends dropping in to see her. Maybe some had popped in to see if she had had a good holiday as she had been away for a few days before she opened the shop, obviously. So like in the week. Good week, good time to go away. Midweek, especially in Wales. She and her husband Richard owned a holiday home near Rislan, which also is not that far from us. Oh, yeah. Nice castle in Rislan. Is there? Yeah, in Wales we have lots of tremendous castles if anyone's interested. Just promoting Wales now. Yeah, we should always promote Wales because Wales is uh, quote unquote God's land. God's <laughs> land. Also, a fun fact about Wales there are more sheep God's than people here. <laughs> There is. There's like <clears throat> three times more sheep or something, isn't there? Oh, that's m- Maybe more. Oh, yeah, isn't like ten sheep for one person? Mm-hmm. Oof. It's a bit too many sheep. Oh, sheep are cute though. Mm-hmm. And tasty. Especially the lambs. <laughs> so friends and customers later recalled that she had been happy when they saw her and said she even appeared to be very relaxed. Travallin had also made plans to go out later in that evening. Shortly before 12.30pm, a man who was described as very well-dressed had been seen talking to Travallin in the shop. He left, and at around 12.40pm, Travallin left a note on the door that read, Back in two minutes. She did buy an apple and a banana, and was seen crossing the road on Castle Street at around 1pm, which is not that far from Church Street. I don't even know the names of the streets. Oh, well, Castle Street is like the main street. Yeah. That's the main street. Church Street is, um, do you know where the riverbank is? Yeah. I think that's Church Street. Oh. So just up there. So her shop was literally just around the corner from there. Oh, where the three go? Yeah, I think it's opposite that. Oh, yeah. I think. Oh, Ali, I've lost my place now because we're talking about (laughs) locations. (laughs) So, yeah, she was seen crossing the road at 1pm and Trevallion was last seen at 2.30pm near her home on Market Street. Do you know where Market Street is? It's where the car park is. Well done. The big car park. I know. Do you know why it's called Market Street? Because markets are there sometimes. (laughs) That's where all the markets are. Yeah, don't they have a market there on a Tuesday? I remember there's... I've been to Market Street, like, on the Christmas market. Oh, I've never been there for a Christmas market. I don't really do Christmas markets. Not a Christmas market. I don't either, but I was forced to go. Oh, well. Then you had no choice. So there were sightings of a woman matching her description, but they were unconfirmed and nothing ever came of these. A woman was seen walking out of town by the Riverside Park at 2.35pm, then another sighting at 3.45pm, this time walking from the River Dee into Park Avenue. So Park Avenue is like a little cul-de-sac 
Um, it's tiny. It's just on the way in. Do you know where I mean? Like next. Oh well, to... we got the dog. Our dog from. Yeah, next to Aldi. Oh, yeah. So she's mm. seen there that area. That's odd. There was also some sightings that people have in this area have told me about where she was kind of walking towards where we live on like the A5 main road. But I don't know. I mean, you know what people are like where we live. <clears throat> Bunch of uh, chatty Cathy's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Police think she may have returned to the shop at some point as her banana skin was found in a dustbin nearby. Although, again, this is not confirmed. In the shop... it was her banana skin. Well, because she'd bought a banana, so they were probably checking bins for banana skins. But yeah, again, how would they know it was hers? It could be anyone's banana skin. A lot of people like bananas. I love bananas. I don't like them that much. I love a banana sandwich. Oh, it's just... Make me feel ill. Pure delight. <laughs> so in the shop, she had left her bag, her purse, flowers that she had bought to take home, her car keys and her jacket. I have heard some people suggest that she may have just run away, but this has always really seemed highly unlikely to me. Given her age... How old is she? Uh, 52, when she disappeared. Oh... I don't. I can't see a woman age fifty-two. Maybe I don't know. She Just might have done. running away. Yeah, we don't know. And you know, her marriage was seemingly happy, and then she had her business that she enjoyed running, like mm. the shop. So I don't know. I can't see that happening. But then you don't know what happens behind closed mm. doors, as they say. She's like eighty now. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. And you said that I was insane for thinking that she's dead. Oh, wow. When she's 80. 80 isn't old. And she's been gone for 30 years. 80 isn't old, though, is it? I mean... Yeah. Well, it's not. Really. She's like 82. That's pretty old. Oh, no, I don't think that's considered old. Really? No, I don't... It's like when I was younger, 60-year-olds, I'd be like, oh, my God, they're so old. But then my dad died around that age. So it's like, oh, no, that's young. 80 to me is not really that old. I wouldn't class it as like, oh, God, you're well old. I would say that's all someone was 80. Oh, no, 84, maybe. Oh, yeah, God, only been with that four years. I mean, 90. 90s old. So, every household in Llangollen was interviewed, as well as people from further afield, such as customers and tourists who may have been in the area on the day she vanished. 700 cars and more than 1,500 names were checked, but they were eliminated from the police investigation. Searches were made in the local area, including in the River Dee, which, oh, I mean, if you'd fallen in the River Dee, in Llangollen, that's quite a wild part of the river. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say you would probably die. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also checked caves and the canal. Trevallin was still nowhere to be found. The man who was in the shop talking to Trevallin 
was never traced, but a police sketch of him was circulated during the investigation. It would be 11 years before the case came up again. And this time, it was because police arrested Trevallin's husband, Richard. He was later released without charge. So I think, again, I mean, I've heard about this case since I was younger. I mean, I was, what, five or six when this happened? Um, but I've always heard about it. And people have always said to me, bet it was the husband. I've never thought that. No. I haven't. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Do you not know? The case was also re-examined again in 2010, which was the 20th anniversary of Trevallin's disappearance. In 2011, there was some chatter that convicted serial killer Robin Ligas, and now this is also quite local, um, this was in Shrewsbury, oh. serial killer. He was being questioned by the police regarding Trevallin. Ligas is currently serving a life sentence for his crimes, but in 2012, he was ruled out as having any possible connection. Ligas killed three men and... I think serial killers do tend to stick to the same kind of victims. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, look at Ted Bundy. But if he's killed three men, then that's obviously like his objective. Yeah. So why would he kill a woman? I don't know. No. Probably wouldn't. No, so I, me, I would rule him out. <clears throat> rule him out. There have been numerous sightings of her over the years including in London, France, and a very remote town in Australia. I think most of these actually turned out to be false. No money has ever been taken out of her bank account, which did lead the police to believe that she had been murdered or abducted. Was it the man who was in the shop? What do you think, Ali? Do you think it was the man in the shop? I have got two theories about it. Who seems well dressed in Shangoshan? <laughs> Me. <laughs> Me when I'm gonna work. <laughs> There's lots of well dressed people in Shangoshan. What are you talking you about? Oh. Don't see a lot of well dressed people. Undertakers. There's not just a bunch of undertakers roaming around. Is there an undertaker? I don't think there's an undertaker in Shangoshan, is there? I was, when I was in town the other day, um, like, a hearse went by, like, twice. The same hearse. Ooh, does that mean it's good luck? I don't know. If you see a hearse twice. We were sat on a bench, and then a hearse went past twice. It Where past we live, us. or in Flandersland? Where we live. It went past us, and then it came back. All right, well, I mean, there is an undertaker's where we live. It's like next to the cafe. And then a little joke for everybody. Uh, some people started calling the cafe the waiting room because it was next to the undertakers. And a lot of older people go to the cafe. <laughs> oh, no. uh, I don't know. I thought it was quite funny. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I think maybe the man in the shop but we know she has been missing for 30 years and her case remains open, but it's really inactive. Like there's 
no chatter about it, no new mm. leads. So when I was younger, I was adamant that she just disappeared because I've always been fascinated with people who disappear, mm -hmm. especially after reading an article in a magazine once where you could pay somebody like 10 grand and they would help you disappear. Oh, I always that. thought that was like so fascinating. Like, I don't think you can get away with stuff like that now. There's a... Ali's just randomly showing me a map of Florida. I, I don't know why. Oh, she's made... Oh, my <laughs> God. Do you know what? <laughs> just can't get the co-host on this show. <laughs> so what do you think happened to Trevallin? Um, I'm not sure. Probably just disappeared and eventually died. Do you think she wanted to disappear or do you think she's been abducted and killed? I think it might have been both. Both? Like, maybe she mentioned to someone, oh, I really want to disappear. <laughs> like, I've had enough of this. And then someone just took it a bit too far. <laughs> and, like, what? kidnapped her and killed her. <laughs> she's like, oh, this... This isn't what I had in mind, but <laughs> alright. It sounds like some kind of weird porno. This isn't what I had in mind. <laughs> but alright. Um I think she was abducted and murdered, sadly. But I yeah. don't I think it's gonna be one of them where they never find the body. It might be in the River D. It could be in Chester. That's yeah. where the River D goes to. I don't know. <clears throat> I just think it's a sad case, like for her family as well. Um, and I don't know. I think maybe I was more fascinated with it because it was a local crime. But this mm. next one has always uh, grabbed my attention because we can. Uh, we're not far from where some of these crimes happened, and we have been for a nice little walk in the area where this happened. Oh, okay. <laughs> I remember as we were walking there, I told um, your dad about it and he was like, oh my God. <laughs> so, do you want to hear about it? Mm -hmm. You're dying to hear about it? I know which one it is. Oh, so this is the case of Peter Moore, <clears throat> North Wales serial killer. Very exciting times. Oh, wow. It's a bit of an odd tale though. <laughs> so Peter Moore was born in Kinmel Bay on 19th of September, 1946. And he lived there with his mother, Edith, until her death. So when I was researching this, I read oh, about 10 articles. Some said he lived in Kinmel Bay on the coast. Mm -hmm. And then some said he was he was from St. Helens. Where's St. Helens? Like, was it Liverpool Way? I don't bloody know. Those are two very different yeah. places. I mean, they're not far apart, but I don't know. So we're sticking with Kinmel Bay because every article was completely conflicting. Edith doted on Peter and called him her miracle baby as she was not sure if she could have children or not. He was incredibly close to his mother for all of her life. He has quite a privileged background and was brought up in a really nice part of town in Kimball Bay. <laughs> I only ever passed through Kimmel Bay, so if you're from Kimmel Bay, I'm sorry. 
North Wales coast are always a bit dodgy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like... They all are, to be honest. No. Well, not all of them, maybe. I mean, Flandid... Like, the top. Flandid knows nice. The top coasts. Right yeah. at the top, not the sides. Yeah, real dodgy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then someone in work told me that real's really nice now. But the last time I stepped foot in real was to take you to the Sea Life Centre when you were really small. I remember feeling really sad because I was trying to see the seals, but <laughs> you couldn't see them because there was just so much algae all oh. over the windows. <laughs> the last time I went was like in like year seven or eight. Oh yeah, didn't you go there with one of your friends? Yeah. On the Pebble Beach. Yeah. They used to call Real Beach Needle Beach as a joke because there were so many junkies that lived there. Oh, no. <laughs> and then my brother saying something, oh yeah, Needle Beach. I was like, oh, where's that? It sounds really nice. <laughs> Love Needle Beach. <laughs> oh, it's Real. <laughs> anyway, enough about Real. Oof. <laughs> so, Moore had always been fascinated with films and home video recordings which later led him to go on to own four small cinemas across North Wales. He also ran a Saturday club where children could buy sweets and watch films for a cheaper price. That sounds like the dream. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. I wouldn't want to go to one of his cinemas. Yeah, but he didn't kill any of the kids. (sighs) Well, no, but he's uh, done some other bad stuff. Oh! (laughs) Not to the kids. So he was often described as an eccentric because of his dress sense. I don't know why I've put this in here, because Ali also says that I dress like an eccentric, even though I don't. Yeah, but you never see anyone else dress like you. <laughs> so. She told, Ali told me the other week that I had flavour. You do? <laughs> I don't even know what it means. It makes me think of Guy Fieri going to Flavour Town. so because of the way peter dressed he got the nickname the man in black i bet he stole that from johnny cash moore also collected wait for it nazi paraphernalia oh it's this person what are you thinking about another nazi Oh, no, I'm thinking of a little boy that collected Nazi things in, like, the 90s. Oh, that wasn't even in the 90s. That was, like, <clears throat> 70s or 80s. That kid on TV? Yes. Swap shop. He tried mm. to swap some of his Nazi stuff. British TV, everybody. Well, once we did a karaoke in school, and this girl from my year was singing Jar of Hearts, like, really, really badly. And then she was getting really into it. And then everyone else was just like listening, and then someone put a Nazi flag underneath the <laughs> skirt of the stage. <laughs> what the heck? It was so chaotic. So it was just this girl really badly singing Jar of Hearts, and then this Nazi flag just appearing, and then the head teacher like proper like strutting down the hall. I'm like I would have had to. Off. I'd have had to walk down. I laughed. It I was. So... I remember when I first started my job. I was in science, and one of the kids called me over and was like, "Look what's on the table!" And somebody had etched in a swastika. There's so many swastikas, swastikas. especially in RE rooms. Yeah, well, they're supposed to have them up there, aren't they? No, but like etched into the. Yeah, 
There's like table. swastikas on penises on all of these tables. Yeah, so I was many. in the French room once and there was a huge penis drawn on there with an, a swastika coming out of it. There are so many. <laughs> there are so many. Like, what does this symbolise? There are so many penises in like history textbooks. Yes. <laughs> so many. And it's like all those things where it's like turn to page 23 and then it's like a bunch <laughs> of these different things and then you'll get to page 23 and then it'll tell you to go to another page then another page then another page and then it'll just be like a picture of a penis and then that'll be it. Yeah, that's the only way you make you through, make your way through to those textbooks though mm. is like, oh, it turns to page 74. Oh, what's it going to be? Oh, it's another swastika or a penis. But that one in French, I was like, what does this really symbolise? A swastika coming out of a penis. I mean, I don't want to be crass, but are you blowing your load for Hitler? <laughs> I don't understand it. Why do kids always have to draw penises and swastikas? Mm-hmm. I've never successfully it's drawn like a penis. It's always like you're seven or eight. You see people draw penises the most. Yeah. Oh, God. Never the swastikas. Anyway, enough of the uh, swastika penises. So, Peter Moore was a well-respected member of the community, despite having all this Nazi stuff. But he was hiding a dark secret, Ali. Oh, wow. And it wasn't the Nazi stuff again. I mean, that what? would be a dark was secret for me. Was that like a public me. thing? Well, I don't know. When his mother Edith died, he went on a violent killing spree in North Wales. So, Henry Roberts was 56 years old and lived pretty much in isolation. (laughs) Same. (laughs) After retiring from his job as a railway worker. He lived in a small farmhouse near Hollyhead, which is a shipping port for anyone that doesn't know. I've also heard it's a massive shithole, but I've never been to Hollyhead. I've never been to Hollyhead. No. Never been to Kimmel Bay either. I've been through Kimmel Bay. Is it? Is it nice or is it? It's all right. It's better than real. Bar's not really high though, is it? Chernobyl's better than real. Uh, So Henry was also known as the village village eccentric. Same, (laughs) me and Henry. But residents say he was a kind man who would never hurt a fly. In September 1995, he was found brutally stabbed to death with 27 stab wounds. With? A knife. Oh. (laughs) Not a hatchet. And he was dumped in the yard outside of his home. This completely stunned the residents of the small village he lived in. They could not believe that anyone would ever want to hurt him. Detectives were also stumped, but they did find some odd leads. They found that Henry Roberts was an avid collector of Nazi paraphernalia, too. Oh. But of course, they didn't know about Peter Moore at this time. They just thought it was very odd. Henry, this is where our similarities stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think you collect Nazi. You collect Nazi things. No, I just collect that I know of. No, I just collect records, which is probably more expensive than Nazi paraphernalia. Yeah, probably. <laughs> don't think it's going for much. <laughs> You'd be surprised, actually. So, <clears throat> when Peter Moore had actually confronted Henry, he had argued with him 
saying he was Jewish, that Henry must be Jewish. And Henry pleaded with him that he wasn't. And this is when Moore struck him with a combat knife he had bought a few days earlier. Because he thought he was Jewish? Yeah, because uh, I think they must have met because of the Nazi paraphernalia. Oh, is it like a whole like, group? I don't know. It must be some kind of uh, faction of uh, Nazis here in North Wales. But this is what I would guess. Nazi support group. Oh, Jesus. I would guess that he'd met him through the collecting of the Nazi gear. Probably. And then was like, nah, mate, you're a Jew, even though he wasn't. And then killed him. I don't know. Nah, mate, you're a Jew. No, nah, mate. So, in October 1995, Edward Carthy, aged 28, was at a gay bar in Liverpool where he met Peter Moore. Edward Carthy was from nearby Birkenhead, I almost said that in the accent, and was, th- Birkenhead, and was thought to have been struggling with a drug and drink addiction. Moore convinced Edward to get in his car and said he would drive them to North Wales. Edward Carthy never returned home to Birkenhead. Instead, he was stabbed to death near where we live in Clarkainog Forest. which is a very dense piece of land and he was also buried here in a shallow grave so do you know what I knew so much about this case when we used to go for walks there and uh, it never bothered me but they reckon that there's loads of bodies buried up there they just haven't been found because it's such a big area it's literally in the middle of nowhere, though, isn't it? Ali, are you listening? Mm, are yes. you tuning in? Yes, I am tuning in. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're going to kill somebody, I mean, would that be the perfect place to dump their body? Probably. I think it would, because it's a bunch of trees and it's pretty dark there. There's, like, another place as well. It's considered an area of natural beauty which is like on the back roads to Riffin. I think a body was found in a suitcase there because... I that mean, would be such a heavy suitcase. Oh, well, someone dropped it off in a car. They didn't carry it there. It's yeah, like that's... <coughs> yeah, carry it somewhere. Oh, yeah. Ooh. I think it was found in a suitcase. Um, oh, God. There's also another one from Clangothlin. Um, this happened when I was in school, so many, many moons ago, many generations ago. A oh, man, generation ago. a man, gassed himself and his kids in the car on the Horseshoe Pass. <laughs> Ali's like, yeah, thanks for telling me that. I remember, oh. I remember that happening. Monoxide, isn't it? Yeah, so you just stick a hose pipe in your exhaust and then stick it into your car window. And it just fills up with gas and you just fall asleep and die. How long would it take? I don't know. I've got no idea. Never looked into it. In case uh, mm. someone looks at the Google search history. <laughs> How long does it take for a person to die from carbon monoxide poisoning? <laughs> oh, God. There was a, there's a girl in my year, the same person who sang Jar of Hearts. <clears throat> oh, with God. the Nazi thing. Yeah. Um... 
someone showed me her Facebook and it was her being like, masks, masks don't work. Because you're breathing in your own carbon monoxide through the mask. (laughs) And we were like, what? (laughs) They they don't even work. And so I'm exempt because I know that these science, just because these doctors say they don't work doesn't mean they're actually scientists and know what they're on about. What? I was so confused. Number one, it's carbon dioxide. Number two, always trust the scientists. Never go against science. in the group of people that I was like with, like reading this thing, she was like a few feet away, and everyone was like, "Ha! Ah, she thinks that we breathe in carbon monoxide." Oh, don't be tight. No, but she's don't like mean. She also thinks all lives matter. So, oh well. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> it was like Black History Month, and she was like, "Well, I don't see why only black lives can matter because you know all lives matter." And when everyone like attacked her, she was like, "I'm not racist, though." My best friend is black. How can I be racist? Quite easily, actually. Yeah. <clears throat> and everyone was just like filled with rage. Oh, yeah, I think I'd have had to leave the room. So, um, yeah, we're in Plocano Forest. Edward Carthy has been buried in a shallow grave. And there's going to be more about Plocano at the end of this story. Yeah. But Edward was the last body to be found and Moore had to draw a diagram for police to show them where he'd buried Edward. Ugh. Hate. So the next victim, Keith Randalls. He was 49 and he was a traffic manager. He was living in a caravan near Llangevny, which I think is on Anglesey, I think. Never been there. So it's not far from Hollyhead. He went to a fish and chip shop on November 29, 1995 to get himself some dinner and made his way home. This was the last time he was seen alive. Workmen found his body the next day outside of his caravan. Just like, like Edward Carthy and Henry Roberts, he had also been brutally stabbed to death. Mm -hmm. Like countless, countless times. Which, you know, indicates crime passion. Boop, boop, boop. (sighs) Not that a stab makes that noise. Do you know when I watch a film or a TV show and I hear someone being stabbed, it's like the worst sound I could possibly... Oh, I hate it. I don't know what it is. It's kind of like paper ripping, Mm -hmm. but it's flesh. Paper, but flesh. It's like tree flesh. (coughs) Tree flesh? Paper is like tree flesh. Oh, God. Oh, Ollie. Just put that one out there. Yeah, thanks for that. So detectives would later find out that Keith opened the door of his caravan to find more there waiting for him. And if you've seen Peter Moore, that would be enough to make you want to close the door. Ali's going to Google him now. The last man who fell victim to Moore was a 40-year-old father of two, Tony Davis. He was stabbed oh. to death on Pensan Beach just one month after the vicious killings of Keith Randall. So... If you notice, these happen <clears throat> very, very near. So we've got Henry in September, Edward in October, Keith in November, and then uh, Tony in like December, late December. On the night he was murdered, Tony decided to drive to the beach as it was a local cruising spot. Wow. Ali doesn't know what that means. Or it was just a meeting spot for game, local gay men where they would uh, 
get it on. Lovely. Mainly, I would say men, probably like Tony, who were married, like closeted men, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. So, Moore later told detectives that he had been cruising the area when he spotted Tony, who was exposing himself to Moore. So, how was Peter Moore captured? Well, after killing Tony, blood was found on the beach that matched Moore's. This allowed detectives to finally close the case on the serial killer that had been evading them for months. He was arrested and charged in December 1995 and was sentenced to life in prison in 1996. He had denied his four charges of murder. During his trial, he confessed that he had an alter ego and that is who committed the crimes. Oh, for God's sake. Now, brace yourselves for his alter ego. Please brace yourselves for this. It was his imaginary gay lover named Jason, who was named Jason after Jason Voorhees in the Friday the 13th movie franchise. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Why did you think, yeah, I'll say that, they're definitely going to believe me now. They'll believe this one. (laughs) They might not believe my other things, but they will with this one. Let me tell you that. So Peter Moore did try and have his whole life sentence quashed, saying it would breach his human rights, goddammit. His human rights. No, not not the rights of, you know, the people that you stabbed. Yeah. What about their lives, Peter Moore? You... Have some compassion, Pete. Yeah, you bloody div. Thankfully... And obviously his appeal failed and the European Court of Human Rights have since ruled that the most dangerous murderers should remain in prison for the rest of their lives. And in another odd twist and another little fun fact, ooh, love a fun fact. So he was housed in Wakefield Prison, which is a notorious category A like prisoners there, like the worst of the worst mm-hmm. tend to go here, uh, such as scumbags Ian Huntley and Ian Watkins. Um, Ian Huntley, obviously, so murders, and Ian Watkins, prized asshole vocalist of the Lost Prophets, who I actually had a massive argument with about mm, 22. No, you argued with when I was about 17. I called him a paedophile because uh, he came off his tour bus and there was two young girls there and he had, I was like, oh my God, you're such a pedo. And I tried to tell somebody, they're just like, no, no, he's not, he's not. And I was like, oh, he is. And then it all came out like that he was, he was like making plans to like rape babies and things like that. And he's uh, just a complete scumbag. I'm surprised actually that he's never been killed prison (laughs) so in wakefield prison moore made friends with everyone's favorite doctor harold shipman how strange so peter moore had told shipman he should write an autobiography but harold hung himself in 2004 what a shame my friend who lives in manchester 
I think I've told this on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harold Shipman was his doctor and he uh, examined his balls once. Oh. <laughs> Another fun fact. Just, just for the sake of it? or No, I think he had something wrong with him. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what. I just remember him telling me about <laughs> Okay. So, I said we would talk more about Clocainog Forest. So on November 14th, 2015... Two brothers who were camping there for the Wales Rally GB went looking in the forest for some firewood when one of the brothers found a skull. Upon closer inspection, he realised it was a human skull. It was largely covered with moss and had been concealed by the undergrowth of the wood. The brothers notified North Wales police at around 8.35pm An officer who attended first concluded that the brothers had found the fully decomposed body of a man. I remember this happening so vividly. It was the talk of the town. So the location of the body was found near the shallow grave where Edward Carthy was. And DNA was taken from the skeleton of the man now known as the Clocainog Forest Man, because no DNA was ever matched on the UK National Database or in the UK Missing Persons Unit. Based on tree growth, the man is thought to have been placed in the wood between 1995 and 2005. This was a highly publicised case in our local area, and it still remains to be spoken about now. So, did Peter Moore have another victim? Well, in 2017, detectives met with Moore after he had contacted them, claiming he knew who the Clocainog Forest Man was. He claimed in his letter that the victim was a mature student from Aberystwyth University who had disappeared in 1996. Moore did not disclose the victim's name. But Daily Post journalist identified a man named Roger Evans from Stoke-on-Trent, who had gone missing during the first year of university on January 16, 1996. Moore later said that police would have to discount his statement due to conflicting dates. So, if this man went missing on January 16, 1996, mm-hmm. Peter Moore was already in prison. Yeah. So it so, couldn't have been him. Yeah, exactly. It couldn't have been him. But I don't know. I mean, the next part we're going to go on completely dispels this anyway. But how would he know that a man had gone missing for breast with university, though? I don't know. That's the part I don't get. It's very odd. Well, so is Peter Moore. So if you thought it was more... You could be wrong. The clothing the man was wearing was from Marks and Spencers and Pringle. And the police were able to trace like the dates of these. So his Marks and Spencers underwear was confirmed to be manufactured in 1999. And his Pringle jumper was manufactured between 2000 and 2004. So again, like it couldn't be more. No. But then to me now, it also couldn't be this guy who disappeared unless he disappeared and lived another life somewhere in this area Mm -hmm. 
But then somebody must have killed him and placed him there. Yeah. Unless he was like homeless and there was a point where we used to get quite a lot of homeless people in court when like passing through there was one earlier this year do you remember oh yeah just like sit on the bench <clears throat> yeah and people took him food and i think someone even gave him a tent and things like that and he was like yeah but i'm leaving now and he just went on his way so unless something like this happened to him and then obviously we have quite crap winters has he gone to sleep in the forest, like under the trees, like in the wood, um, to have some kind of shelter, but then died? Like of hypothermia or something like that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, we can rule out Peter Moore, though, because he was, he was locked up. He was in the slammer. He was. He was in the slammer. So, yeah, that's our local crimes. Ooh. There are more. There's like another one, but I don't think I want to cover it because it's a kid one. Oh. I don't want to talk. You don't like kid ones. I don't, but then they're so important to talk about. Um, but, ugh. It's a horrible one. Maybe we'll do it. Because um, I remember it happening. And that's when I became a paranoid parent. So that's it for our local crimes and our 13th episode. How exciting. Wow. How exciting. <laughs> true delight. A true delight. So, as always, thank you for listening and for thank you. retweeting all of our episodes on Twitter and for being all round nice people. We appreciate it. Very nice. It is. So, we will be back next week. Goodbye. Bye.